What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us on another episode of Duck Gun Podcast. Not Duck Gun Chronicles, Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles and Elliot from Freelance Duck Honey. What's going on, Elliot? Every week you're just getting extra plugs for yourself. This is Freelance Duck Honey, not uh, Duck Gun Podcast. <laughs> just <laughs> plugging away. <laughs> but I will say, just uh, joking, uh, Jordan and I both are cranking out the videos over on YouTube. So if you're just a listener... And you don't go over to YouTube, Freelance Duck Hunting, Duck Hunt Chronicles. We are cranking out the content, and the hunts are going to start fast, fast, fast. So get on over there and sub us and watch those videos. Oh, yeah. They go along perfectly. We're going to be talking about the hunt. So if you've ever seen them, it's going to make more sense when we talk about them. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. we got awesome stuff planned for the podcast, for the channels. we got some awesome guests coming up. Everything's looking up and up. And... uh you know, I'm definitely excited for um, my trip I got coming up for early teal, and I know you, you're in the same boat. I you got your early trip for teal, so it's like I mean, literally, it's like a week and a half away for you and for me, um, like uh, a week and a night. You know, uh, like this time next week, I'll be going to sleep, put my head on the pillow, and in the morning I'll be hunting. So, what they start on a Thursday. Oh, they do actually, but I'm I'm talking about Dove. I'm going to hunt Dove, and oh, then, okay. and but they do open up on Thursday. Oh, so so what? So, and that is the uh, the Labor Day weekend, right? That's right. Okay, so your plan is Dove hunt Thursday, and then when do you head out on your hunt trip? Thursday night, um, Friday morning. No, we 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 just we kind of left it open ended. Uh, I think everybody's going to Dove hunt. Um, you know, whether we do it together separately and then when we're done, we'll get together and uh, head out. Like we'll be packed up the night before. Who's that, we, who's so. we, who's all going on this trip? I, I thought oh, I got a, I got a couple of buddies going with me that I hunt with locally. Um, Devin and John, you've seen them in some of the videos, but still not a ton of them. I think John or uh, Devin was in a lot of them and John was in a handful. So, so. it's you and two guys, so you guys rolling out in the duck bus? No, because, well, it's going to be so warm that uh, we got an Airbnb. So, Okay, so it's you plus two, and the guy that gave you the invite, and you guys are hitting public um, teal. And so your first day hunting will be, you're not sure? It might be that night when we get there. It just depends on, you know, we could do a hunt scout the evening, set up, and kind of see where they're going. Are you, the guy that invited you, is he staying at the Airbnb? No, he lives there local. He lives there local. So you'll meet up with him uh, yeah, no, he'll probably he's probably shoot our limit. He'll probably shoot his limit before we get there. I bet. <laughs> hmm. So he'll he'll probably hunt that first morning. Now, what made you decide to hit dove and not go for the the teal? Because you know, in some places, the day two can sure. uh, can be rough if uh, with teal, depending on how many. Sure, I hope that's not the case. Um, I had I just kind of you know prior to that, I'd, I'd kind of talked up dove to a lot of my buddies and. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I leave it up to me to get the field and all that. So, um, I just didn't want to leave anybody hanging. You know what I mean? Like right. talk about dove, we're going to dove hunt an opener, kind of pumping it up, talking to everybody. And then bam, I get another opportunity. I just say, no, oh, screw you guys. Like, yeah, so you already I wasn't going to do that. Right. So who's going on the dove hunt with you? Your dad and swampy? Probably dad and just whoever else. Like I got a, a bunch of buddies that hunt. But most of them haven't dove hunted. You know, I was kind of the, the guy who um, got everybody started in that. A bunch of guys are, are loving it. Well, I, Swamp Man did, but he was from, he grew up in the South. So, you know, 
Because I remember he had his dog on last year's opener. I remember you guys split up after a while, right? Wasn't that the opener? Like your dad went over to a different part of the field. Was it, I thought that was the opening hunt. Yeah, I think me and my dad started together, and then um, Zach shot his limit. So then dad swapped with him just to kind of give our better chances because he was getting the most birds over there. Yeah, that was a good video. H- have you ever thought about trying to find ponds around those fields? Because they, wa- they have to be watering. Yeah, just locally we don't have any water. Like I, like they I don't have to be watering to somewhere. Like, we don't have much water. We really don't. I mean, we got like uh, like ditches, so I'm sure they could get water from that. Like all the the irrigation, or not irrigation, but uh, tiling where they drain all the fields. Right. Which is like if you look on the map where I live, it's just like a it's like nothing. So yeah, I don't know where they're getting their water. Not a lot of ponds. Yeah, as I, like I've said before, like growing up, which dove hunting was the first thing I ever did. Started at about age thirteen. Started going on the hunts at about ten, eleven, watching my dad, and then it was dove hunting, and then that transitioned into upland and prairie chicken hunting, and then eventually waterfowl. But we always went to ponds. That's how we. And it was always evening. We never morning hunted. Always evening. We and uh, they would go crop field. No, they would go roads for gravel. Crop, I assume crop fields. I don't know. And then, yeah. and then ponds and then roost after the ponds. So you'd get out there at like, you'd hunt from 530 to, you know, eight, but it was crazy fun action. And we, we had a lot of time where we were shooting our limits and, and stuff. So I didn't even realize people hunted. Um, I mean, that was the day before YouTube and for any of that stuff. So I didn't even know that people hunted fields for doves because my yeah. only experience was just ponds and we always pounded them. Yeah, if you don't have wheat fields around or, like, dairy farmers that are cutting silage, you know, it'd be kind of easy to miss that, you know, because all the rest of the crops just depends where you're at. You know, they might not get cut around hunting time, but, like, where I live, it's, like, perfect timing. Literally, like, the week, like, a few days before to a few days after opener. Like, it's lined up perfectly. Um, The farmers are are chopping their silage uh, almost every year without exception. So obviously it depends on, you know, timing of, of, uh, <clears throat> you know, planting and all that. But yeah, I'm definitely excited for, it. and then on our trip, we do have possibility for early goose and, and for dove. So oh, really? we won't have a lack of things to do. I don't think you ever sent me the pen to where you're going. Like you said, you were going to, well, I want to check it out. Okay. Make sure I'll send it to you. Speaking of on X, but I am really, there is a chance I am having this desire in my heart to go back to that dove pond. There was one dove pond we always hunted. My uncle owned it. He still owns it. He's a farmer out there in um, about three hours away from where I live now. And my dad's 79. He's My dad's still going to do some hunting this year. And I just have this I'm growing desire to go back with my dad to that pond because that's where all our hunting began. I mean, we've got we've got video of it. Uh, I actually tried to resurrect some of that video. I ran it. It was like on a VHS and I sent it to Walmart and I got it back and it was just so garbage. I couldn't use it. But um, I just have this desire to go back to where it all began in my dad's last, you know, I don't know how many years he has left to go on hunting, but just a like a full circle dove hunt. And we haven't even seen that pond in, gosh, since probably 91 or 92. So if we've got a big scout this weekend, um, Aiden and I do. And if we don't see if we if we don't see water and teal, if we go to the places that I'm going to go to, we have three places to check, 
And if there's no water or if there's no water, then we will go to this dove pond um, on not on the opener, but instead of a teal hunt, which I don't want to do that. But part of me is like, I do want to do it. If there's teal at these places, we're definitely teal hunting. If there's water, but no teal, then we have a decision to make. But there's certainly something in me that wants to go with my dad to that old pond where it all began. Oh, yeah. That would just be such a cool Nostalgia. video. Yeah. And to have a video of that in my dad's last few years of hunting would just mean the world to me. I've actually thought about maybe taking Friday off of work and going and doing that Friday and then coming back for teal. Um, I don't know. I, I just, it would be fun. Awesome. Definitely. All right. Well, um, I guess one last little, I want to give one last little update and then we'll go ahead and roll into our podcast for today. I guess we didn't say that at the beginning is, um, we got Ben from on X with us. So excited for that one. Uh, he always has so many, so much knowledge, so well-rounded with all the different opportunities that he's had. So, um, excited for that. But, uh, you know, uh, Oh yeah. Last plug. Um, with the early trips that I'm going on, I'm going to be doing some podcasts from the road. So uh, that's something that I love doing last year on like the Chasing Opener series. Um, so it'll be exciting to kind of sit down and do recaps of the hunts while we're out there. So uh, stay tuned for those two. Um, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners, and then we will jump right into the podcast. Elliot, how about you head us off? Sure. Well, I want to talk about Weatherby and their shotguns. Um, I have in my hands the new 18i, and this shotgun is, it's unbelievable. I absolutely love it. I went out and patterned it the other day, and it patterned in better than any shotgun I've had. I did about 25 yards with steel threes, and and uh, the pattern was just fantastic. The action is just unbelievably smooth. So if you're in the market for a new shotgun, you I would think that you need to think about the Weatherby shotgun, the 18i. It's just a fantastic choice. Go check it out. See what they've got. Um, just an amazing shotgun. Awesome. Elliot, you want to keep them rolling? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we on X Hunt, um, we've got Ben here talking. We're going to talk a lot about it. But, guys, like I told Ben, I believe that on X is the, the most um, biggest game changer to waterfowl hunting since the spinner. It's just absolutely revolutionized how to find places. There's so many features. If you don't have Onyx at this point, guys, go and check it out. It is absolutely incredible. It's Onyx Hunt. Another sponsor I want to talk about is Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader. Um, I saw some guys talking on Fellowship of the Duck Gun and asking, what's the product code? It's Duck Gun 2020. Motion Ducks is just a jerk rid on steroids. You can use four. You can use seven. You can actually continue to add them together and do whole flocks. The guys at Motion Ducks, they'll go out there with a couple dozen all linked up, all in motion. Makes a crazy difference. It's just a phenomenal product. We're also brought to you by Final Approach and Rogers. If you're looking for waterfowl gear, decoys, clothes, anything that you need, FABrand.com is Final Approach. Really impressed with their gear. Honestly, once I got it in my hands, it's higher higher quality than I even expected it to be. It's just a phenomenal product. Another partner of the program is Tetra Hearing. In fact, I just 
got a pair in my hands recently, been testing it out. They take you through a hearing test so they, they can know exactly what you need and what works for you. If you're not wearing hearing protection, you're going to end up like me. You're going to be 50 years old and you're going to be saying what all the time and not be able to hear because I didn't wear hearing protection through my twenties and my thirties and my forties. So Tetra hearing, I believe it's the best product on the market. It's worth every cent that you spend on it because when you can hear in your fifties and sixties, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Um, last partner is freelance hunt stats. Guys, if you haven't signed up for that, we now have an app. It's freelancehuntstats.com or on iOS and app iOS and Android. Just look for hunt stats. It's a hunt log. Also, we've got a little friendly competition. We've got message boards. You can connect with a crew. Just so many cool features that we're adding on to all the time. Freelance hunt stats. And I think that's all of them. Awesome. Thanks for uh, covering that for me, Elliot. Had uh, some background audio that I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't get rid of. So and I kind of um, choked on a few of them, but <laughs> that's all right. No, no, that was great. Yeah, um, but I do want to I do want to kind of um, emphasize something else. You said the first week we're we're talking about Weatherby, a new partner uh, for both of us in the podcast, and we're both super excited about it. Um, I just dropped my review video on the channel of that eighteen I. 20 gauge deluxe um so it's a little different from you got you got the 12 gauge i went kind of back with uh back with my roots and and i went to a you know a, a sub gauge there and excited about that and um that wood grain you got on your video just looks beautiful i love the color of the silver like the color of the metal it's a little it's, isn't that a little bit more of a silver color it's like i, I, it right. I think the the way they describe it is nickel right so it's beautiful i um, love it that's a beautiful shotgun Oh yeah, it's awesome, and I can't can't wait. It's gonna be my go to um, here for the season. You know, we got dove early till. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a good a good way to start and roll in with that gun. Yeah, and the action on those is a huge step up for me um, with the gun I was using in the past. It's just so smooth. It's I'm just in love with the gun. I got the camo pattern Max Seven, um, and it's just a beautiful gun. It's just a beautiful gun. Awesome. Alrighty, let's go ahead and get Ben on in here, and we'll um, roll on to the podcast. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and our guest tonight is Ben, and he is the wing shooting manager over there at Onyx. How are you doing tonight, Ben? Man, I'm fantastic. I'm happy to be with you fellas tonight, and look forward to chatting. Oh, yeah. Definitely uh, definitely excited as well. I know we had you on um last year probably about this time yeah and um man I, I just remember you being a wealth of wealth of knowledge and just so many experiences in so many different places at not only just as a, a wing shooter you know a duck hunter and and your upland stuff too so um excited about all the possibilities for the stuff we can talk about tonight um but you know for the people who weren't here on the last one um go ahead and kind of give them a brief overview of yourself you know, as far as like how you got into hunting sure. and how you got to where you are on your career. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, that's, my, that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. We could. How long you guys got tonight? We could, <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, Ben again. I grew up uh, kind of grew up in a very uh, kind of traditional kind of the whole. My dad got me into hunting. I grew up hunting from time I was uh, just a kid. So, um 
pretty stereotypical for for a lot of people there. But I grew up in Minnesota and and pretty much did everything: ducks, deer, upland, uh, small game, whatever. But really got into waterfowling, um, you know, my young teen teen years, and and then ended up going to college out in North Dakota where. I got an education in shooting ducks and geese, and that was uh, a fantastic time. Just what a place to go to college. I did get, did, did get a degree eventually, so there's that. <laughs> um, and then after that, I, I worked for a, a regional publication and did some uh, worked for a TV show as well on the fishing side and then moved down to, to Mississippi and was the executive producer and the brand manager for Primos Hunting, gold tip arrows bushnell trail cameras and uh bee stinger archery and man that was got a got a great taste of duck hunting in the south uh all the way from flooded timber to um you know the salt marshes texas oklahoma all that stuff so that was a blast and and then decided i was gonna move back up to minnesota and took a job with onyx and and it's great. I get to chat with great fellas like you and, and uh, kind of go around the country chasing birds still. So there's not a whole lot to not like there. Awesome. Yep. Definitely sounds like, uh, you know, you got a, <laughs> a lot of stuff under your belt there. You know, a lifetime of, <laughs> of duck hunting experiences already. So that's super cool. Um, you know, uh, one, one thing you said on there, we've been actually going – back and forth um having guests on from from the south so Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh that's that's just been a topic we've we've been uh, hitting up you know we play around with it elliot has you know some uh some uh what's the right word elliot some banter i like to give southern hunters a hard time and troll them a little bit and so we've had quite a few conversations just about southern hunters their demeanor their thoughts you know things of that nature well so I guess our question experience. for you then. What was that? Yeah, yeah let's go hear ahead. it. So go for it. This is going against me, but I will say that in order to be a good duck hunter in the South, you have to be a really good duck hunter. So as a whole, duck hunters in the South are better than in the North. Otherwise, they wouldn't kill any birds. <laughs> but the duck hunting in the South is way worse than the duck hunting up here. So that's my two cents. Sure. So, so to expand on that, you know, because Elliot's like out west, and I need you to like find a way so we can bash on him in Kansas. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm surprised uh, you have enough time after you get off the combine to actually go duck hunt. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I've got is that my uncle is a farmer. Um, so I grew up hunting his land. We actually grew up with a lot of up, upland ba- experience, but now I've yeah. switched over to waterfowl. But as far as the South thing, the way it started was is that they were really crying a lot about lack of ducks, and they they put together this big committee. I, I, I don't I don't remember you. I don't remember what the name of it was. This whole committee of guys, and they had all these episodes. Where are the ducks? What's the matter? And I got to looking at the numbers, and they were still killing more ducks than everyone else. Yeah, but they were just crying like crazy about not killing ducks. So that's when I kind of started giving them a hard time, let's say. <laughs> oh, I can see that 100% because they are good at pissing and moaning. You get on <laughs> you get on some of those forums and it's like, wow, you guys need to get some hobbies outside of hunting season. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to see some 
poor behavior on forums. The Kansas forums on uh, the refuge forums are, I mean, talk about a bunch of old crybabies. I can't imagine anyone forum from the south is worse than the Kansas one. It's unbelievable how much those guys cry. Yeah. So, so kind of jumping back to that, I mean, I think, you know, just to clarify, our final understanding of, of the whole situation is they kill a lot of ducks still, like duck numbers, but they're they're missing a lot of their puddle, puddle ducks, their big ducks, um, just aren't getting down, down south. Yeah, From your experience, like how long ago was it that you hunted in the south? First year I hunted down there would have been 2015, the fall of 2015. Um, and we had a lot of like those first two years I lived down there. The thing is, if you don't have cold weather, you don't have ducks. Like that's the long and short of it. So if good cold weather year, ducks are awesome. If you don't, they're just not going to be down there. So that's that's where it gotcha. lives and dies. Like it, I don't care if it's a bad harvest up or a bad harvest where they've got a lot of food up north. It doesn't matter. Plain and simple. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, what, Jordan and I were talking before before you got on the show and and we definitely agree that the hunt that the hunters are better down there, but I the reason that we feel like they're better is like you get into Arkansas and Louisiana, duck hunting is cultural. It's like it's mm-hmm. deep-seated in the culture. In the Central Flyway, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, there's people that hunt, but it is absolutely not a part of the culture. Now, when I grew up in Central Kansas, upland game hunting was a little bit of mm-hmm. a cultural thing it's not anymore but you don't get places like arkansas and louisiana where like duck hunting is infused into absolutely into the culture where they're blowing a duck call from the time they're two and three and so i it just breeds a better hunter i think just because it's more important yeah. to who they are what i will say is yeah so they might be like overall better duck hunters but this is a generalization but they make for bad freelance duck hunters because Would you say that's because they don't know how to? Con- they're not. They don't have as much practice concealing being in the timber, or why do you think that is? Um, because they don't. The, the, again, generalization, but there's not the freelance opportunity down there as there is in Kansas, you know, Minnesota, North Dakota, wherever, Michigan, up here. Um, like a lot of the guys, they have their duck leases, or uh, you know, they have a couple public spots, and literally that's where they live and die at. Like. Where are we going today? Yeah. Oh, we're going to the duck blind. It's like, are there any ducks there? I don't know. Like, that's where we're going because that's where we have to hunt. So, Yeah, it's, it's Saturday, so we're going to the blind. Exactly. Right? So it's a, just a different mentality. And, and we're here, it's like, well, I'm not going to go. Why would I hunt that field? I, I There's no birds in it. Like, I'm going to go find another field with birds in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our perception in this area has always been with them so much in the timber and in the rice field, they typically have blinds. You get them out on these open water marshes without timber and out of blind, and they don't have a clue how to hide. Not that they wouldn't evolve and learn how to do it, but they just have never had to do it. So it's, it is hard with no trees around and no blind around with, with just smart weed or it's hard to hide from mallards in those situations. I mean, people can call mallards, you know, not as smart, up here as they are down there but if you're not concealed properly a mallard's a mallard and you're not going to kill him at 25 yards yeah exactly yeah and then you know where where they where they excel is like you said calling and then decoys movement like the they you got to be good because those birds have been shot at for you know 
eight states and 3,000 miles to get down there. So, I think they tend to be really good shots as well, from, from my experience. The ones I've seen, um, they tend to do well with the gun. A lot of shooting opportunity. They don't have winter. They can shoot all year round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should flee to the next uh, subject before we make anybody else mad. But <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good idea. Jordan stirs it up and then just defers it all to me and tries to make everyone mad at me with every well, title usually, he makes of a podcast. Usually, yeah, I'm try- I'm searching for my title for the podcast, uh, but usually Elliot is not this nice. He is going out of his way tonight to, to uh, no. make amends for the things he said in the past. You would have to really go. You, I, I would. I challenge anyone to find any actual thing I said that was overly <laughs> negative about Southern Get People. All right, guys. You got your homework. <laughs> They'll find it. I've got tons there's, of guys that hunt in the South that I like, genuinely like. There's 250 episodes of of backlog of you trashing people, so it won't be All hard. Right. Instigator. It's not true. Instigator. <laughs> Move on to the guest. This isn't about you making people mad at me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Uh, ben, what, what are your plans coming up for the season? You got... You always got a lot going on, so let's hear what you got. Uh, it's a laundry list. Um, so <laughs> I'm starting it out in uh, Montana, going to be doing some some bird hunting, Sharpies and Huns out there. Um, going to come back to Minnesota then and probably um, do a little bit of do a little bit of waterfowling around here. Some early season stuff. I'll I'll miss the teal season out in Montana, but. Um, probably get in on opener i'm going to be up in northern minnesota so a little bit different flair to it um a lot of wild rice and that kind of thing um so kind of mixed my time between shooting grouse and woodcock and then also uh hunting hunting ducks up there um hop over i've got so i run i run draught hires i've got two draught hires and then i've got a english pointer or pointer whatever you want to call it and uh, so I started getting into field trials. So I've got, I think, like five field trials in October with him and kind of all across the Midwest. And then during, uh, then during November is really when I'll start to get into some more waterfall, take a trip out to North Dakota. Um, Going to end up down in Nebraska, Kansas. Um, and then early December, be back out in central Montana for kind of a combo pheasant duck goose hunt um from there probably make it down try to get down to texas i'm gonna try to hit idaho and then january is kind of open right now so probably try to go down maybe through kansas oklahoma and then bird hunt new, new mexico so wow that that's a lot of miles <laughs> do you drive or fly drive every mile of it <laughs> I guess you have to with dogs, yeah, right? So I, th- I mean, you don't have to, but it's way easier. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think I put on, like last year, I think I put on 40,000 miles in oh, from wow. September to January. So yeah. <laughs> I hope you're finding a way to write that off on your taxes. Oh, you know Because <laughs> if you're not, you should be. <laughs> it's not going to be any cheaper this year. I'm just committing taxes. <laughs> I've got... I've got a question about your, um, you said huns and, and grouse. Um, what kind of environment are you in when are you like, um, grasslands? What, what type is it? Ag fields. Can you give just a little descriptor of what a normal hunt looks for you 
and how yeah. how you run the dogs maybe even yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I'm out hunting, like, so let's take sharp-tail grouse and huns out in, whether it's North Dakota, Montana, um, pretty much it's it uh, it's just large, giant expanses of grassland. I mean, like my... With rolling hills? Rolling yeah, hills and grassland? Short grass prairie, so okay. you're talking under knee-high prairie. Um, it's not, if you're thinking pheasant cover, it's not that thick. It's less than knee-high, a lot of bare dirt. You know, patches of like choke cherries or uh, buffalo berries, that kind of thing. And and dogs are just pretty much the the goal for the dogs is to let them just roll. Like the dogs that cover a lot of ground are gonna prob I mean find more birds because when you've got you know ten thousand acres in front of you, you gotta have a dog that's gonna cover those miles so you don't have to walk all 10,000 acres or whatever you're hunting. So, um, you know, I like, I like to see the dogs, uh, especially my pointer. Like I expect him to be out there 250 to six, 700 yards at least. Wow. And wow. Jeez. Yeah. So he'll put on. So if you get a point at 700 yards, can you explain? Cause my upland experiences, we hunted with Brittany's and they were all tight little, I mean, we were in CRP and so they, they didn't range anything past, 70 or 80 maybe 100 at the most what how does that play out if you get a point at like 700 yards so that's a that's the problem <laughs> sometimes that does happen and the nice thing is like with early season sharpies and huns is uh they'll hold really well so dog goes on point and yeah I'm, i've got a, a garmin alpha or whatever and it'll beep gps tracking collar it'll beep and i you just pretty much start walking right and that that dog is expected to stay rock steady all the way until you get there, walk up, shoot the birds, dog should stay broke, and then you can release the dog. So, I mean, walking 700 yards, depending on the terrain, it can take, you know, 10 minutes even. So, And are you working in a, in a one direction? when you're? Are you pushing one way and the dogs are just out in front of you roaming as they would like? Uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the goal is like through training is that I, my goal is to keep those dogs between 10 and 2. Like I don't, uh, through my training, they're not supposed to get lateral, definitely not supposed to get behind you. Um, and so in that wide open country, they can, I mean, they can key off your body language pretty good. So like if, if, if I see them coming up over a hill this way, you know, from right to left, and I want him to actually go, like, we're going to start bending to the right instead. What I'll do is just turn to the right and then take a hard step, and then he'll see me and zip around and then start headed that way. So either that or I'll, it's like it's uh, a lot of the field trialers do it, but it's called, you know, singing to dogs where you're essentially, you know, just using your voice, you know, and they they just hear your voice and want to, you know, okay, got to keep in contact. Or I can turn him on the the GPS collar. So, you know, if he's going left, two taps, or, yeah, two taps, that's turn. So there's a number of different ways to keep him out in front of you. Now, is that an audible, or is that a little nick you're giving him? I'm giving it, uh, like, a momentary, like, a one generally to turn. Right, right. So, like, and a low one, he'll turn him. So how, how do you train? What's the training process to keep your dogs between 10 and 2? Is it just really light nicks? Is that kind of the basis of it? Yeah. So, like, I use something. It's called the Huntsmith method. 
uh, developed by Delmar Smith, who is you know, a legendary dog trainer. Now it's been carried on by Rick and Ronnie. Um, and essentially, uh, you start out with a check cord on a collar and everything you're doing on the collar. So for example, um, you're, what you do is you can quarter a dog on a check cord. So you're going, you're getting the dog to go in a snake-like pattern, quartering out in front of you. And every time they get to the end of the rope, you're given two tugs and that means turn direction. Um, stop means continuous pressure. Um, come here is tug, tug, tug. So everything you're doing on the rope, whether that's a, a leash, whether that's a check cord, ends up translating to the G to the the e collar. So mm-hmm. um, essentially, you're just extending that check cord. Um, what age do you typically start that type of training? So I don't. Uh, so I'll start the. It's, so they, it's something. It's called a wonder lead or a command lead. It's like a a slip lead made out of. Uh, like lasso esque rope, so it's really stiff, and um, essentially that's uh, you're teaching the dog to turn on, turn off pressure. So mm-hmm. right. when they comply, the rope goes slack and it instantly lets off that pressure. So you're teaching them to turn off pressure. Um, so I'm doing that when that puppy is uh, eight weeks old. In little ways, just little increments. Yep. And then I'll start, even when they're puppies, like you have a little, uh, you're not using a, a full size, you know, thick check cord, but you're using a, a smaller rope and you're teaching him that quartering thing. Well, all right, well, we'll go this way. And then it's informal, you know, really short sessions, but you're doing that right away. And then, um, so actually, I think last time we talked, I think it was in September, I was actually out in Montana, I think. And yep. so about at that time, I realized I needed to put brakes on that dog because he was running upwards of like a mile. Wow. Oh, geez. That's too much. When you're, when you're a section away from <laughs> me, like, mm, and he just, so I ended up having to take him through the process of, of, of breaking him, which means, which means I can end up using the collar to stop him. Mm-hmm. So it was super frustrating having him a mile away and just doing whatever the hell he wants. So, <laughs> what uh, kind of range do you have on that collar? How far does that thing go? I think, I mean, depending on the terrain, it'll go up to like 20 miles, 18 miles. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Mine only does three-fourths of a mile, but I only waterfowl hunt, so it's like yeah, three-fourths of a mile is fine. 20 I miles, think, dang. Realistically, you might get – that's what they advertise, I think. It might be – eight miles but the the hound guys would probably know better because that i mean that's what that product was built for the mm-hmm. gps stuff so yeah nice um so with with them being duck dogs and upland um how do you in your training how do you fuse that together do you use the the training system that you were referring to is that both waterfowl and upland or how, how does that i've jordan and i both train dogs I, i've trained mine um up through, um, I'm losing my train of thought. It's just basically all waterfowl. So I, I'm, we have a good understanding of a waterfowl training, but I have no understanding of the upland. So how does that fuse together? Yeah. So so with the pointer that I have, that he is that strictly upland. He's a strictly a bird dog. He gets his paws wet and he doesn't like it. So, <laughs> um, but with the drawdhars, uh, that training system 
also works. Like there's certain parts like quartering. If you know if you're gonna if you're gonna pheasant hunt your dog, you can teach that that quartering like we were talking about. That works just as well for a lab, obviously, as it does a versatile dog like a draught or a German wire hair. Um, but the nice thing is like that that breaking process, you know, in terms of um, where with a pointer, it's getting them to stand still. It's the same general principle, same process for getting a lab to sit. So it's like really handy for, you know, obviously sitting in the blind or whatever. And I've seen it. I've made the mistake with, with my first dog of, of um, you know, sit, right? And uh, you're sitting there like, you better sit, right? And yelling at them, mm-hmm. you know, sit, sit, sit. And you've been in the blind with those guys that are yelling. But, you know, with either without whacking the dog or yelling at them or having them on, like, actually physically contained with a leash, like, they you can shock them but it, it that understanding a lot of the times isn't there so through that training process essentially all you do is um you know that collar on their neck continuous stimulation means you better sit there and if you move you dial you always start at like a one a low one and you keep rolling up and two three whatever and they're gonna eventually learn that hey it's not worth it's not worth the pressure, right? So as soon as I sit, pressure goes off. And so then right. you can be in the blind, you know, not saying anything. Dog breaks, just give them, you know, give them a low one. A lot of the times like that will just completely stop it. They get a pretty good idea of, okay, I'm duck hunting here. So I'm going to sit and, and they're steady versus, I mean, they get, they're like, they understand the game. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So um, yeah, you, you let them out of a, the, the truck and, and they, you, they get to a field and you know, your pheasant hunting. I don't know if it's like what gear you have even, I think, I mean, it's probably the whole process, right? Like, so when you're setting up decoys, doing that whole thing, um, they, they just know it's going to be a, know it's going to be a waterfall hunt, upland hunt. Um, so actually in one of the, the, the drought hard testing system, it's called the, JGHV, I don't know, I mean, it's an acronym for some crazy German word I can't pronounce. But uh, in the test, the, the final test, it's, it's 30, 36 different subjects, anywhere from like duck hunting, they call it a duck search, to uh, blood tracking, to pointing, to uh, even like weird things like it's called fox in a box, where literally a dog has to jump into this box that's constructed out of logs and pick up a fox and jump back out and retrieve it to hand (laughs) so you know that's where they excel at right like you are going literally from one subject where it could be a blood track where that dog has to be very very methodical it's got to be using its brain and picking up on you know little pieces of scent slowly going through it to something where you know where the the they call it search behind the live duck where they actually let a duck duck out over the water the dog can't see it you have to send your dog the dog tracks the scent over the water or either has to search the whole pond find the track and you know the goal is to produce the duck so it can either be shot and the dog can retrieve it and that's a super high drive like they got to be amped up they got to be rolling out there to find that scent so you know that literally you could be doing a blood track and then 20 minutes later you could be running uh 
the search behind the live duck. So like that, that switch has to be very instantaneous. So I, this summer I just started HRC hunt tests, which is pass fail. And we got our title in season next, nice. next summer. We're going to go for the finish title. Um, the field trials, is that a pass fail or is that like a first, second, third? Yeah. So, so the, the, with the versatile dogs, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's scoring against a standard. So, um, right. right. Like, I guess you could, you could get the most points out of a test, but really you're trying to, you know, prove that your dog is up to a certain standard. Um, field trials like, uh, UKC American field, field trials, it's a straight competition. So I've got 15, 20 dogs at the trial and there's going to be a first, second and third and you're shooting to try to, you know, play. So. Oh, that, that'd be interesting. I like the HRC stuff, but I mean the field trial, if they, cause I assume they have them for only waterfowl as well. I would think, don't they? Oh, that's a good question. I know because it's uh, uh, what's like well specific to your breed, right? Yeah, I mean like or no, what is the test you're talking about, or is that no? That's straight. That's straight. Uh, so like the field trials, the American field field trials are just for upland. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, OnX. You guys got any uh, new features coming out, or or anything uh, that would be pertinent for us waterfowl hunters to to use? For sure. So we we've we've done a lot of work in the last year. Um, we've done a lot of little things that'll hopefully kind of improve you know your everyday experience using OnX. Um, one of the things that that I've I've really used a lot is um, we've, we've upgraded our weather. So one of the cool features you can use is it's called wind on a waypoint. So essentially you can set optimal wind for a waypoint and then on your map it'll show, like if I'm scrolling around looking at different areas, looking at different blinds, I can say, all right, you know, the, the, this is what the wind's doing here. This is what the wind's doing there. And then I can, you know, pick the best blind depending on the wind, um, different areas. So that's one super cool thing. And then I can also see that that wind for those each different spots out like 10 days. So it's like, well, wind's not good for this one today, but tomorrow it's looking good. Let's hunt this one today and then maybe go hunt that one tomorrow. Um, so that's something that I've used quite frequently. Um, another one is... Does it have, uh, does it have wind, wind prediction as well? Like if you scroll over far enough... And that's yeah exactly so I think that's pretty accurate yeah it's all done through weather underground so um that's that's who we use and and you know i think they've got oh i think a hundred thousand weather stations across the across the u.s so it's pretty good and then i i want to say that it goes out i'm pretty sure it goes out seven days right now so you can see all that content you can see the wind on all your all your different spots that you want to select out for, um, for, for seven days. So nice. Yeah. I think last season I used, um, a more simple, uh, version of that, but I'll have to check out the updated version and, and start linking that to some of my favorite spots. To hunt. Yeah, for sure. Um, another cool one is 
you know, you guys have probably run into this. We're going on a trip together. We're all jumping in the. We're all jumping in our trucks and headed somewhere, and we're all going to start scouting, do whatever. Um, and before it'd be like, hey, you know, where are you finding the birds? And you'd get a string of text messages, like ten text messages, where you have to add waypoints individually and mm-hmm. onto your map. So now we've we've simplified that. We've created a great folder and sharing system where you can dump everything into a folder, and I can share everything to you. So that's super handy. Like if you're going on a trip and you've got like historical spots or whatever, you can dump it and say, hey, this is our Nebraska waterfall trip. And we can dump them into that folder and and kind of prevent that one-off sharing. So that's that's been great to use. So can I, uh, can I hack into Elliot's account <laughs> and have him put all his in one folder? <laughs> And send it to me, so I'll have all the best spots in Kansas. Yes, you should. You should. You just got to give them a few beers and trick them and get that get that uh, password. Oh yeah, yeah. That is that is super cool because, like you said, um, right now, you know, I, I need to start implementing that because right now, me and my buddies, when we're doing it. We're just sending them, like you said, back and forth. Like here's a pin, here's a pin. So like once you have that folder and it's shared to them, if I add another pin to that folder. Does it like automatically come up, or or do you have to reshare so the folder? That'll, or how's be, that work? that'll be coming shortly. Here is where it's dynamic. You'll be able okay. to do that. Gotcha. Um, another thing that's coming up that I'm super psyched about that'll be awesome for waterfall hunters. Um, we'll have CarPlay and Android Auto. So if you've got a vehicle with CarPlay, oh you'll yeah, that's see super it cool. In Dash. Uh, <laughs> that is awesome. So I'm I've got it. Yeah, my truck has it. So I'm like. Before I, d- I didn't have a truck with it, and I was like, "Why would anyone want this?" And then I got it. I was like, "Oh yeah, we need this." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, my truck doesn't have it. <laughs> so I saw a feature that I ran into, and I'm and I didn't use it, so I may even be wrong on its function. But what I thought it was is like a live version, and I think it was on the desktop where you could like my buddy and I could be on the same map at the same time live together, and I could move it around, and he could watch what I was doing. Yep. So, so it's it's called Live Map. It's same thing. It's like a collaborative scouting tool. Yep. So if we were all on together, we could be chatting on the phone or whatever, and I could be moving my map around, and everyone could see see what's going on. And again, then when you're done, you put all those into a folder, and I can share them from my account, and then you guys all have them. So if we're going on a trip, and and you know we're all remote, we're all in different spots, you can be planning, and and instead of being like oh. I, th- I think, uh, you know, is that on the edge of uh, 37th and 64 where you see, you know, John Miller's property? And you're like, no, instead here, you're, you know, you, you can see my screen and and we can be working together. So now can you do that on the you can do that on the app and the desktop where it's the that's, live map on the desktop? Yeah, that's what, um, OK. That's, yeah. that's what I thought, which yeah. I mean, I personally that's where I do all my scouting on the, the desktop. So. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have said this a couple of times and I truly believe this. I'm not just saying this because we know you and work with you. I believe that on X and the features are the biggest game changers and suspenders. I mean, I, I, I lived in, I, I mean, I did lots of hunting before Google earth and then I started using satellite images and when no one was using them and then on X came up and the difference between no satellite images to satellite images to on X it's a, it is. It's an absolute game changer. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
if you're not if people aren't using that stuff, you're just you're you're not maximizing your hunt game. Yeah, and, and whether that means you, you know, you don't have to travel to get use out of it. You know, we, a lot of us travel, go to different areas of the state, different states. Like even around home, like if you to, you've got your great spots, but then now I can see who owns like three properties down. It's like oh, I wonder who owns that. You can see that. Oh, it's like oh, so and so owns that. I know him, or I now I know where he lives. Right, I can see his tax address. I can go ask him. Maybe I can hunt his pond. So you don't have to travel out of state to use it. It's it's val- just as valuable, you know, around your hometown or whatever. Oh yeah. And one of, one of the most valuable features that I use is when you track yourself. So we go through the woods a lot to pools that are kind of back in. Sure. And so I will, if, if you've never tried to navigate the woods in the dark, it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, before on X, I had my compass in my hand and I would get a compass reading with, you had no satellite images and all you could do is a compass. Now during the day, I put on that tracker, I make the exact walk I want to make, save the trail, and in the dark, all you have to do is follow your trail. I mean that alone. I that alone is just. Uh, I mean, it's uh, almost like I don't want other people to have it because I used to have an advantage because <laughs> I would use the compass and people wouldn't come in till daylight. <laughs> but it's an that is an amazing feature. Yeah. Um, another oh, another yeah. cool thing that we did is um, so if you're an elite member, which is all fifty states, uh, in addition to that, you get uh, we've, we've worked with a bunch of great companies across. Waterfall, Upland, Big Game, Whitetails, where you get, you know, exclusive benefits, whether that's, you know, percentages off, early access to different things, um, you know, exclusive sales just to these people. So uh, if you haven't seen that, it's if you Google Onyx Elite Benefits, um, there's a slew. I think there's probably 30 different brands you can get, get access to. So with... Uh, our government and inflation and all that fun stuff help ease the burden a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. Now there's one there's one feature I talked to you on the phone about when we're when we're scheduling the podcast. Do you remember that what that was? I yes. I think I do. Yeah. For waterfowlers. And uh it would be awesome if uh I don't know if it can happen or not, if there's like it's too much data or, or how it would work, but Man, for I know in certain instances, this is never going to come up for Elliot in Kansas, but for people that are east of the Mississippi, um, having the city limit layer, I think, would be awesome. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would use it all the time. So that's something that we can definitely work on through this because it's all, you know, a lot of it's county data. So um, I agree. There's been a lot of spots that I've been. Like, huh, I wonder if I can hunt this. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Where do you guys pull your boundary lines from? State by state? County by county in a lot of the cases. Um, you know, Like, what about, like, on public land specifically? How do well, you guys refuge boundaries, that kind of thing? Depending on the agency, right? So, you know, a lot of the times if it's, if it's like, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, you know, we're getting that data from them. We're getting the BLM data from the BLM, um, state from state, county from county. So it um, really just depends on what type of land it is. And we are going to all those different uh, all those different government agencies to pull those different data sources. 
that's an undertaking. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, that's that's probably not your day job though, right? No. <laughs> Going through that info. No, I. <laughs> we would not have Onyx if that was my job. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be some tedious work uh, for sure. So early, it's funny story. So early on, like they were actually going. Uh, county to county and saying like, hey, we know you don't have GIS. We we know you don't have your your maps digitized. They were literally on paper or whatever, and, and they would send them to Onyx, and Onyx would go through and, and digitize them so we could have them, and then and then give them back to the county. So that that would be an undertaking. And that's how we used to have to find public land owners. You'd have to go into the county. In column, or I mean, at least at least in my state, it was not a simple process to go and find landowners. You could do it, but it was a major pain of calling people, going from department to department. And finally, you'd figure it out and you'd get a hold of it, but it was a chore. I remember going to the local post office and buying, you know, in different counties, county plat maps for thirty, forty, fifty bucks a pop, and you know, you rack up three or four counties of plat books a year. That's hundred and fifty dollars every you know every year for updated plat maps so yeah that's mm-hmm. that was that was a chore so uh some some weekly news we got this week um is they finally dropped uh the 2022 waterfowl survey numbers Ooh. have you had a chance to take a look at I those i haven't seen the 22 numbers yet what's the uh what's the skinny Sure, I will send you. Well, <laughs> we're gonna put you on the spot because I'll I send it right there in the chat here. Um, but yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of get your take on it. But I guess if you haven't seen it, you might not have much of a take. No, that could be that could be tough for me. Oh no, I take it back. I I've seen this these this survey. I would. You're you're thinking about the the breeding I was survey thinking, probably. They put together this this the hatch. This, no, it's a giant report. Um, of hunter numbers by state, number of ducks harvest by species by state, number of geese harvest by goose species by state. Like it's it's like a fifty page document. <laughs> so, how do we get all of that? I think if you just Google U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, I think it's called like annual waterfowl report or something like that, or participation hunting report. Um, and yeah, I know we've looked at it in the past, but <laughs> migratory. Yeah, so yeah, migratory. So now that we kind of got you all squared around, um, you kind of got a take on the numbers we've seen and, and the count. You know, it's the, obviously there's some bright spots, right? Bright spots, and there's some spots that that aren't looking good. Versus 2019, um, you know. Again, I don't. I don't take a whole lot of stock in the year-to-year change, but it's like, you know, what really continues to concern me is is your bluebills and your pintails. Like, what what was pintails down like fifty percent against the long-term average? Like, that's yeah. that's yeah. pretty rough. Like, that's scary, right? Yeah. Um, but then definitely, and it kind of been holding it that down thirty percent for. For you know a while there, now it's yeah uh, after that big drop there, and it's another twenty one percent down. Yeah, it's just like, dang, like that's the stuff that really scares me. And then there's there's a, of course the life saving gray duck, the old gadwall, just 
doing its thing, breeding <laughs> prolifically. <laughs> so see, the the old gray duck has saved a number number of hunts. But the one okay, shovelers, the old spoonies are down too. Like, man, that's gonna hurt on those slow hunts. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like the bright, the two bright spots from it are, you know, the redhead and um, blue wings and the blue wing tail. Yeah, so. which you know the, the the nice thing about that is then hopefully you know you will get a lot more of those early season opportunities to expand the season like Minnesota's hat has one um, that's fairly recent. Um, so like that's nice. I know there's some, I know there is some strife about that in terms of early teal seasons in areas they haven't had them before just in terms of educating you know educating docs shooting off species but i think it's a great opportunity especially for for kids getting into it um you know it's nice and warm out you get the opportunity to to get into birds that you won't see a lot of the times especially up in these northern reaches yep definitely Alrighty, um, another another topic we wanted to kind of pick your brain on. Um, you know, South Dakota has uh, a little bit different handling of their out-of-state hunters than than I'd say most any other state. You know, I think some others are kind of trending that way. Like Arkansas definitely has uh, changed the way they handle it too. But what what is your take on um, you know, in particular South Dakota, since you're from there, or even oh. these other states, kind of changing changing uh the regulations so you know growing up in minnesota and then going a lot of the times to north dakota um it was nice because it's wide open right like you can do whatever you want north dakota is great for freelancing because um you know the whole uh not posted you can access it type deal so it made like a freelancing waterfowler's dream um to be honest Mm -hmm. i've got a I don't know. I, I understand why South Dakota does what they do with the, the drawing for licenses. But personally, like, it really hacks me off. Like, I have never applied for a waterfall license in South Dakota. I, like, refuse to out of principle because I personally just don't agree with it. And it's like, I'm not going to give you my money because I don't like it. But I understand, like, if you do want I mean, it makes for, like, I've got a lot of friends in South Dakota who – our residents and they love it right like there is literally no pressure it's it set south dakota so far behind the trend in waterfowling um i think i mean for for like the state as a whole because you don't have people coming in bringing you know thousands of dollars in equipment big decoy trailers like you got some of the guys there that do it obviously but like it's not as prolific as north dakota where you know, there's there's tons. You look at 94 going up from Minnesota. Um, you know, it's it's a constant parade of decoy rigs. So uh, I had got one of the guys, one of my buddies who I've known for a long time. Um, he's he's about 10, 15 years younger than me. I had been uh, I've been giving him decoys that I've gotten through the years, full bodies and. Like, I think he's one of the only people within, like, a 50-mile radius that field hunts for ducks or geese. And now he's got, like, a nice setup. He's probably got, I don't know, 15 dozen, 20 dozen honker decoys. 
And, like, literally he asks anyone, and they let him go hunt because they're like, no, we don't, you know, we might shoot him on potholes, but we don't hunt him in the fields. So it's nice for the residents, right, because nobody is out there doing it. That, 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 that culture hasn't expanded into South Dakota. So there are, you know, positives and negatives to it. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I this is a huge issue in my state with out-of-state hunters because since COVID, we've seen a rem, uh, marked increase in out-of-state hunters and a decrease in, in in-state hunters. The same, You have the same number of hunters in the field, but it's tilting out-of-state and the residents are, are tapering off. And I, th- I truly believe, I don't think we should go to a South Dakota type of thing because just the sheer revenue that the yeah, state gets in right. is, I mean, it's it's millions of dollars. And that means a lot to a lot of these small towns. Uh, but I think that the states have an obligation to let the residents feel like that they are the priority in some way. Whether it's opening weekend, and Arkansas is doing some of that stuff. Or maybe opening yeah. weekend is only residents. Some way to tell the residents, well. okay, you guys live here, you first. and But there's got to be some type of balance I agree. Like North Dakota does that as well. The first week only residents can hunt. And to be honest, like I wouldn't be mad if, if these states that are, you know, I mean, look at uh, Montana, for example. So Montana's big game license for years was like, I think you can get a combo deer elk. I mean, don't quote me on the price, but it was like 500 bucks for a deer and elk tag. And I think they jacked up that price to like $1,000. Wow. One year. Uh, this is probably 10 years ago now. Um, and then for a year, everyone is like, oh, no, that's way too expensive. I'm not I'm not doing that. And then all of a sudden the next year, they're sold out. And now, you know, they're, people are gladly paying $1,000. So, you know, it's like what I would pay a lot of money to come to Kansas to go hunt upland birds and waterfowl. Like, and I fully understand I'm going to pay more, and that's fine, right? Um, I want to support wildlife in Kansas as a non-resident. So... You know, I, I think that's a great way to, to, you know, if you want to curb down maybe on some numbers, but still still support those towns and also revenue right. for the for the department. So, right. Awesome. All righty. Well, um, I guess this is probably a good place to go ahead and wrap up. I know you got some prior engagements coming up quick. So well, <laughs> um, we appreciate the time. Like we said, it's always, uh, you know, always awesome to talk with you you have so many different experiences in different places and we can take the podcast just about in any direction you have a you know you have a an opinion about everything and that's great so it's uh it's awesome yeah. so appreciate you coming well, on yeah i'm i'm uh, honored to be on thank you guys for inviting me and i hope you guys have a fantastic season um it'll be here before we know it yes sir all right well you guys all i'm jordan from deck and chronicles Elliot from Freelance Duckening and Ben from Onyx. And we'll see you guys on the next one.